We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 193, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsored betonline.ag. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and while we've had some great guests for a few weeks, it's the normal guy. He was on ESPN, did some stuff for The Guardian. It's Frances Tomas, and I today answering some listener questions. How's that sound, Frances? Um, hola, Goulez. Uh, it sounds like you're fed up of talking to me. Um, to be honest, we've done it for over three years now, so you know I can understand why you're feeling, you know, your feelings are so adverse towards me. But you know, the feeling is not mutual. I actually quite appreciate you quite a bit. Um, today, I'm really excited. Um, it seems like the Liga is coming back. Um, it's not coming back immediately, like obviously the Bundesliga is already running. But I am excited about the fact that you know the players train together, not the whole group, um, groups of ten today. Yeah, the Ciudad Sportiva, and that that's really encouraging. There's some. You know, it's like normality is coming back to football. And, um, you know, despite the fact that, you know, the whole world is still suffering, at least this is going to be a little bit of a respite, a little bit of a distraction for all of us. Uh, we finally have something current to talk about in the pot, which um, has been a challenge over the last six weeks. So, yeah, things are looking up and I'm very excited. Oh, Frances, it's misdirected anger then. My frustration comes all from those transfer rumors that we're going to be talking about today, along with squad speculation, maybe even a little Barca B. But no, I love having my conversations with Frances every week. But it is the transfer rumors that really get me all tied up in a knot. So we start with some transfer rumors and the ones that are most pressing this week. Antonio, his question, why are we looking for older players in the transfer market and not investing in our younger players for the future? And do you think the board is short-sighted about Barca's future? Vistrut, meanwhile, asked, what are your thoughts on that potential De Siglio and Pianic deal in exchange for Semedo? Now, this story about Semedo in exchange to Juventus for Pianic, De Siglio, and 25 million euros, this was debunked almost immediately the same day. Gianluca Di Marcio of Sky Sports, who is pretty well-trusted, usually gets these things right, said that Juventus wants Arter and only Arter for Pianic, so these rumors died pretty quickly. Sport reported the initial potential agreement, though, so there is something a little bit to trust, though Sport, even though they are, we'll say, loosely affiliated with the club, there is also sometimes where there are rumors and things that very often don't materialize. Obviously, you see Neymar on the cover of Sport more often than not. But there are also reports, and I think the most important part of this story, is that Barcelona need a certain amount to balance the books, somewhere between 60 and 80 million euros, and it seems like Nelson Semedo is at the top of their queue. Rakitic and Vidal seem to be too expensive to move on, and clubs don't really want them for that kind of market. Coutinho seems to be tied up in this limbo where they're not able to get the whatever they're looking for, whether it's 80 million or 70 million, whatever they want for Coutinho, it seems like there isn't a strong enough market for him either. So I think they're just waiting and biding their time. But then you look at the other guys, that's why you keep seeing the name Todibo. That's why you keep seeing the name, even though Barca don't outright own him, that's why you keep seeing Emerson and stuff. Nelson Semedo, guys that are 
reasonably easily sold on because they are in their mid-20s. They still represent a little bit of potential for the future. So what you're really seeing here is that 25 million euros is the real reason for the deal. And if that was true, that also obviously just indicates that Archer doesn't have a future at the club, even though he and his agent, Jorge Mendez, have said that the player wants to stay. And it seems like he's doing the same thing the Rakitic and Vidal have said, that even though the club wants to part with me, I have no reason to leave. I want to fight for my, my, my place here. And so I'm going to just stay here. Yeah, of course. I totally agree with you, Dan. I think that there are different factors to, to consider. Um, what you said at the beginning in terms of sport, I think sport is used as a lever of opinion. Um, sport normally, you know, they, of course, with the Neymar, they, they milk it. They want to sell newspapers. Um, when news are slow, then Neymar just comes up at the front cover. That, that, that's a regular and has been a regular for six years now, even when he, before the first time he came over, I think it's 2013 that he started appearing in the front cover. So, so that's a, that's a long running drama, if you want to call it that. Um, but when rumors like the, the swap that you just mentioned, um, come about, that is not just sport just broadcasting something that someone in Italy said. That is sport having some sort of leakage from someone on the board, and they're just saying, right, just publish that, see what the reaction of the public is. And uh, then the, the club, my understanding is that they track uh, what, what, what people are saying, what people are feeling, and you know, if there's an overwhelming majority in terms of um, opinion, then that is something they would pursue. Um, clearly, um, Semedo and Arthur, as you mentioned, they are the stars of the show at this moment in time. I'm going to be very simplistic. Arthur, I would not entertain the possibility of selling. I think he's got plenty of potential. I think that um, he can add a lot. And I also think there's no natural replacement for him in terms of experience, in terms of background. Obviously, he's Brazilian, so he's not your typical La Masia player because, newsflash, not all Barca midfielders have to be from La Masia. So he's a unique, different player that I would keep. Obviously, injuries haven't respected him too much, but he's getting to a degree of maturity, both mentally and physically, that I think he's still got some, some way to go at Barca. Um, as for Semedo, I think he's a great, great player. Um, he was bought from uh, Benfica three years ago, I remember, and he cost around 30 million euros. If his value is now around 50 million, which is what um, it has been rumored, like, I don't know, Manchester City, Bayern Munich, uh, several Italian teams are prepared to pay. Given the fact that we got Sergio Roberto, who, let's face it, always has, seems to have an edge and has had an edge above him for the last three years, um, regardless of the coach that, that has been in charge, then I would we'll be happy to part ways with Semedo as long as we can get a right back that would be, you know, a good backup for Sergio Roberto or someone who could challenge Sergio Roberto for that starting spot. But, you know, I don't think Sergi is going anywhere. I think the experiment of Roberto at midfield just hasn't worked, you know, and every single season, um, every new coach or, you know, Valverde, when he got new ideas from one year to the next, he's tried it and it just hasn't worked out. So I don't see Sergio Roberto being a regular Barca anywhere else but at right-back position, and, you know, given his um, experience, his knowledge of the club, the fact that he's Catalan, you know, that whether you like it or not, that influences decision-making. He's one of the captains, so I would I would be happy to part ways with Semedo, but just don't malvenderlo. Just don't sell him for the wrong price and, and make sure that you get the value that he has in the current market today. One of the questions from our listeners, our lovely listeners, was about, um, does the club have any idea what they're doing? Uh, well, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not sure that they do, um, but I do know that they are the ball we have because that's certainly not changing. Um, I mean, this pandemic, if there was anything that was going to happen this summer, this whole pandemic has uh, put a stop to that. So Bartomeu and, and co are definitely going to be in charge of Barca this summer and most probably until the election come next summer. That's if it doesn't get postponed. So we can only hope that they do. I'm just not 100% confident that they actually do know what they're doing. Right. We're talking about $25 million expected for a potential deal involving Semedo. And you're right. If his number outright is more than that, whether it's 30 or 40, and it doesn't have to be Juventus, but as you're saying, and as you're, you're correct to say this, that there seems to be a, some conversations continually happening between Barca and Juventus, and it might all be for nothing. It might be just involved with the players that are going to be making a little more money out of the deal in the long run. But if that deal would have happened hypothetically, that means, as you said, Sergio Roberto is your starting right back again. Mattia De Siglio, who is uh, an Italian right back who constantly has to deal with injuries. Desiglio would be the backup. I think on talent alone, he would be the backup as well, even if he was even if he was healthy. And Pianic, this is where if you want to see what the fan base seems to believe about Pianic coming to the club, he, I think he's instantly a starter to replace a guy like Arthur. Sure, 
but his skill set winds up to be very redundant in the midfield. He's a deep-lying playmaker who can't really move around that much. He's unable to really roam and get from place to place to tackle, and he's a great free kick taker. Great, moving to a team who has Messi to take free kicks. So I, I think Pjanic is a tad redundant when you have De Jong who's trying to move into a bigger role, even though he's not playing. It's playing alongside Sergio, Sergio Busquets. So I, yeah, I think that Pjanic is just kind of, he'd be in there, and that would, again, all of this is to A, help balance the book, sure, but B, it's also to collect as much money as possible for the Toro Martinez deal and plus whatever players Inter may actually want. So it seems like Barca need to raise somewhere between 70 and 80 for Latoro Martinez and then throw in a player or two that, that Inter may want. And I don't know if Inter actually is particularly keen on any of the players that, that Barca would like to offer. Well, one of those players that we keep floating around, and he really just is sitting in as a 25 million euro price tag, it seems like. The question from Pancho, with Ronald Araujo moving up to the first team next year and Tadebo being linked, what seems like with every club in the world, how do you rate Araujo more than Tadebo? He's asking how the club would do that. I know both their game time is limited, but seeing that Umtiti can't stay fit and PK is in his twilight, wouldn't it make more sense to shop Big Sam and keep Tadebo while developing Araujo as well? We've talked about this many, many times, but it's not about Tadebo being good enough to be at Barca or whatever it is, but Sam Marzen really did summarize this rather well two weeks ago that Tadebo is worth more 25 million euros for a player that has still played less than 25 total first team matches in any place he was to lose Barca and now even with Schalke, less than 25 official first team games for 25 million euros is what you have to sell the player on for where he is worth more as a either a swap deal player or he is worth more on the market than he might be for what Barcelona would be missing. So they're hoping that Araujo, and I think they really are saying that, well, okay, PK's not retiring and they don't expect him to, to get any worse. Langley is a starting left back and Barca are willing to, because of what's going on with financial restraints of the pandemic and everything else involved, I think they're willing to just go forward with Araujo. The issues with Araujo as a player... Physically, he is outstanding. He is tall. He is strong. He is powerful. He is also quick enough at the moment. He just doesn't have the ability with the ball at his feet. And I think that that is not something you necessarily learn. But under the tutelage of Kike Setien, that might be something that he improves upon. In the way that, I, as we were saying with Lang Lei, when he first arrived, especially last year, I was not too keen on his ability playing the ball on the floor. But we did see some improvements from Lang Lei this year. Now, he came in a much better player at Sevilla than Araujo obviously is with Barca B. But I, I think there is belief that there could be some development of Araujo under the likes of Kike Setiem in a system where he really is pushed. To, and Pimienta does push him to be a little bit of a commander at the back, but really what happens with Barca B is that he gets it forward to Callado or Ricky Puj, and they wind up shuffling it between the lines, and they wind up dribbling through the midfield and taking the ball themselves. Hundo or Oriana, another one of those on that list. And Barca B also have a tendency of trying to go up through the wings as well, a little more so than the first team does, who does like to play the ball on the ground through the middle of the field and attack in the way that you'd expect that Barca would attack to try to get the ball to Messi in those situations. So, Frances, I, first I want you to respond to, I know you haven't seen much of Araujo, but I think you would agree with the Debo point, because once you throw it back to me, I want to almost give you a warning. I'm going to go off a little bit about this depot point. Oh, no. <laughs> this is when we lose all our listeners. Everyone's going to switch off right now. <laughs> um, no, just, just to say that um, I fully agree with what you're mentioning. I mean, if you've got, we're talking about the fourth centre-back, the second backup. Um, I sort of slightly disagree with the question. I know that Piquet is ageing, but, but Gerard Piquet is going nowhere. I think that his current season... And, you know, it's weird to even call it current season because it's been stopped for so long. But the, the, the season that we are hopefully going to finish soon saw PK actually reviving quite a bit. Um, obviously playing no time for the national team because of his retirement has actually helped him recover. I am optimistic. I'm very happy today. So I am optimistic that um, this pandemic break has actually helped him. Um, if he, you know, he manages to play the first one or two matches, not picking up any injuries there. I do see Piquet being unmovable for the rest of the year. Um, and obviously when next season starts, I think it's a regular fixture. Um, because Piquet is a would be a regular fixture unless disaster strikes or something major happens, then it doesn't quite matter that the people around him are not that great on the ball. I mean, someone like Lenglet, as you mentioned, wasn't amazing, but has regularly improved. And I think that complementing with Piquet is, is very easy. 
because then it sort of just leaves you to connect with Busquets most of the time or whoever plays in that position next year, which more, will most likely be Busquets anyway, and then offload it to Jordi Alba on the left. Um, if you're a centre-back playing on the left at, at Barca, that's pretty much all of your job done in terms of building forwards. Uh, because of the same reason, I do trust Umtiti to be fit enough um, and to be capable enough to, to be that backup. And if he's not, having someone coming from the B team that has the conditions that you've described does make perfect sense to me. Um, so long story cut short, I think, yes, do take the money for the youngster that we can sell at this moment in time. Use it for, or use that cash influx for someone who would be a regular starter e.g. Lautaro for example and yeah I think we're ready for your counter Dan go for it well actually you know I'm gonna make people wait a little bit more because we're gonna hit that ad break and then yeah I'll try to I'll try to keep it keep my cool on the other side of this ad break there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner bet online NASCAR is back and bet online has hundreds of other games events and sports to get in on you can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex-Chicago Bulls Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling After the Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. All right, back from the ad break. So I did watch all of Borussia Dortmund against Schalke, a 4 nothing thrashing for Erlen Holland and company over Schalke. And Tadebo did start as he basically the right center back of a back three that David Wagner began the game with. And I think he dealt with Erlen Holland pretty well. It was his job to track him into the midfield. And then he picks up an ankle injury at halftime and is forced off at halftime. But I also think David, uh, David Wagner was trying to switch some things up in the second half as well. So I don't know if he would have played most of that game anyway. Juan Miranda, who we'll get to later in the show, believe it or not. We're gonna, there is a Juan Miranda sighting, so we're going to mention him later. But he also featured later on in that game. Now, when it came to Debo, again, I thought he was good enough. I thought he was good enough against Holland, even though his team lost 4 nothing. The first goal happened because uh, Holland is just a next level. I mean, we know he's a future superstar, if not a superstar already. And he just got in between Sané and Tadebo, the middle center back and the right center back. And that was how the first goal transpired. And I don't know how much fault Tadebo was for, I believe there was another goal score before halftime, but that just was cut out because Tadebo was not necessarily in the right position, but had to deal with Holland and that left more space for the rest of Dortmund. Now, I, I feel like a broken record here though, because I've continually said that I would love to see Jean-Claire Tadebo back at Barcelona shore. I'm not saying that I'll cry if Tadebo never returns to Barca. I'm not anointing him the next Gerard Piquet or Ricky Puz the next Iniesta or Ansu Fadi the next Romario or Sedino Dest or Emerson the next Danny Alves. What I'm saying though and what I continue to say is that attacking talent is expensive. Latoro Martinez, Neymar, whoever you want to go out and buy, there is no replacement lined up for any other position on the field as Busquets, Alba, Piquet, Vidal, Rakitic, and then, so that's not even counting Suarez and Messi up top. Because I expect, as you say, for the club to go out and spend big money on the Toro and Neymar or whoever it may be up top. Because that's not even Barca. That's the history of the big clubs. Your club, the chances that you're going to actually create a world-beating talent. I mean, look at PSG. Who did they get? They have Neymar and they have Kylian Mbappe. And it, it doesn't matter where you go around the world, right? Cristiano Ronaldo was not a Real Madrid player. He wasn't a Man United player, right? So the best in the world... It's so rare for them, attacking talent-wise, to come up through your club. So there is where money needs to be spent. But I, I'm not even saying even, Frances, that it's going to be post-Messi era. 
right? I'm not even worrying about three, four years down the road. I'm even talking about next season as that core that we're talking about, Busquets, Alba, PK, Vidal, Rakitic, all age, or Vidal and Rakitic, let's say one or the two even stay at the club. So talking about those greats, Xavi wanted to quit under Louis van Gaal. So did Andres Iniesta. Messi had to be signed on a napkin because not enough people on the board believed that he could be something. Making good prospects, great players. Now we're talking about Fatih or Puj or even Tadiba, where these are good prospects and they're not yet great players, but making them into great players takes a lot of luck, timing, and foresight. So it's not just one of them individually that I think is going to be the guy that I want to anoint as the next superstar at Barca. But at least one or two of these whole crop of players needs to break through or Barca are going to continue to be in a world of hurt. And they're continuing to be, this is going all the way back to Antonio's questions, they're continuing to be an aging squad. And that's just going to get worse year in and year out. Now, the last point I want to make here, Frances, that I want to throw to you is you always say that your transfer policy is getting a starting 11 player. And looking at the squad and the financial implications of the pandemic, I do agree with you. As I've said, for an attacker, but 20 million euros for Sergino Dest, who I am very biased about because I watched him play a lot because he's an American at Ajax, is really good on the attacking end for a teenager. I do honestly believe that he's going to be a top five right back in the world in five years if things go right for him. So 20 million euros makes sense if you get it right. And in today's market, rather get your future right back for 20 million now than have to desperately buy one for 50 million later, right? Worst case is that you have mm-hmm. to sell a player that didn't work out who has Ajax and Barca on their resume, which I think is going to be easy if you have a 23-year-old who played at Ajax and Barca. And unlike midfield, there is no right back coming up shortly in the pipeline from La Masia. There are other positions, like there are left backs, talented left backs trying to break through in La Masia, but right back is, is kind of a dry position at the moment. So the board should have the foresight to start to plan or start to have a plan to rectify that now. So they might have a plan. It could be that Emerson coming in 2021, and then you survive with Sergio Roberto and one of the fans from the Botifara sausage line this season if they sell Nelson Semedo. <laughs> or maybe some people are saying, let's leave that to the next board, right? But I really hope that they do have that plan already set in motion and not no plan. Let somebody else worry about it later. I think that's the big difference here, that I want to see just a little bit of investment because at least one of these players needs to become the next superstar. Or in four years, and I, again, I'm even talking about next year, but it could be as soon as next year, some of these older players do start to really break down. We saw the team work slower now. They do need some legs. They do need some youth. They do need some injection of energy and competition. And if you're just looking and going, well, Frankie DeYoung is young and Ter Stegen is still back in goal. So if you're really just counting on Frankie DeYoung to be your complete future and add all the legs and add all the energy, then it's certainly going to be, as Ronald DeBoer said to us last week, it's going to be underwhelming, of course, until DeYoung becomes the guy, but he's going to need people to look around and pass the ball to in a few seasons. And so I just want, wish there was a little more foresight to say 15, 20 million euros on a guy that could be a top three to five player in his position in five years is a good investment, as opposed to just saying we need to clear the books as much as we possibly can and we know that if we score enough goals to Neymar and Latoro and that's it, then I don't care what else is behind. So I, I just want to say that building a squad is always something that is always a nick, I mean, the thing that gets me frustrated. And so all these rumors, and they are just rumors, so I'm not blaming the board. I'm not trashing any deals that haven't been made yet. But I, I just think that if there is not a plan in motion already and you're actually bringing in younger qualified players that could be superstars you're definitely going to run into this squad being even more top-heavy than somehow it already is. Yeah, no, I agree with you. One one million, trillion, billion percent, if that's even a number. Um, Without a doubt, uh, I've been saying it for years here, I think that Barca need to buy starters. And if they're not buying starters, they just need to to continue to trust, or just trust, because it's not continuing to trust anymore. They need to trust the youngsters coming from La Masia. And and that just hasn't happened. I mean, um, Des seems to be, and obviously you're the expert, uh, because you've been following him pretty much his his whole career. Um, He has been working really well and being very effective at at Holland, in in Ajax, Amsterdam. And he's an up-and-coming talent. I've got no problem in spending 20 with him. But as I said before, Barca, and you mentioned it yourself as well, Barca need attacking power up front. Um, there has been a lot of money, I think we could say wasted, with Dembele, Coutinho and Griezmann. Between the three of them, is, I think it's 320 million euros over the last two, three years. That's an insane, that's an absurd, that's an obscene amount of money uh, that, you know, we're looking at it as things stand right now today. And, and Griezmann is the only one that you could say has been a decent buy. You cannot even say he's been a great buy. Um, if all that money was in the bank now, we'd be laughing and we wouldn't really 
be able to, we won't be having these conversations. We won't be able to debate anything because, you know, we could sign anybody we wanted in the whole world. But the situation right now is that the board needs to be clear as to what the priorities are. Um, I think that signing any more Andre Gomez, Boatengs, etc., is a waste of time. They need to go for starters. And failing that, they need to trust the players that are here. Um, I've got high hopes for Alanya coming back from loan. Um, I do have, as I said before, Sergio Roberto as a, as a regular starter next year, especially if Semedo goes. Um, I do see Ricky Push being promoted. I do see Collado being an alternative up front. But, you know, just in these, those games, which is um, essential that someone rotates up front. But there are there are some youngsters. Uh, we mentioned Araujo already today. There are some youngsters that could be trusted. I mean, we haven't mentioned the goalkeeping situation at all. Uh, for many weeks now, but I'm more than happy to sell Neto on to whoever wants to pay the money we paid for him last summer, which I still don't quite understand why we did that, and trusting Yaki Peña for Basabi. You know, he's more than ready. He's becoming of an age now that he needs to make that jump to first team to first team level. And, you know, unless uh, Ter Stegen has a horrendous injury, which, you know, hopefully it will never happen, then Ricky Peña is not really going to play that much. And, you know, even if he had, if Ter Stegen had a, a terrible sort of spell away from the pitches, you know, it's, it's the goalkeeping position. Iñaki Peña, he's been preparing for years. We need to eventually trust our La Masia players. And it doesn't always have to be out of need, which is what seems to have happened recently. Just run with the great, work that the La Masia coaches and, 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 you know, staff are doing and give these players a chance to shine unless you can spend on world-class starters that will make things better. And I don't want to move on from this topic just to mention that if someone like Rakitic or Vidal, but especially Rakitic, were making, making things easier and actually accepting one of the many offers he has had, we will have 50 million euros um, in our bank already. He would have left last year. But um, I think he is, and he's within his right to do this. And, you know, I'm very grateful for what he's done. But when you've got, when you clearly know you're not going to play and you've got an offer on the table for 50 million to benefit the club, then I think he could have done a little bit more. I'm not saying uh, what I would do in his situation, uh, but I think I would have at least considered going to someone like Juventus uh, and Inter. But it's the same two clubs who kept talking all the time. But they really wanted him last, last summer and, you know, in the last um, transfer window. Um, over the winter as well, and he just stayed. And I, I'm pretty sure, I hope I'm wrong with this, but I'm pretty sure Raggett is just going to stay until he becomes a free agent and then go back to Sevilla. But, you know, hopefully I'm wrong with that as well. Yeah, and I, I think I was even a little bit too harsh. Uh, so I'm walking myself back a little bit because I have mentioned in the past too that I really like the pick of Pedri. I saw as much as I could of him at Las Palmas this year. And Pedri, he still is only 17, but he is certainly one for the future. I think he is, you know, as inspiring as any player that is playing as a center midfielder at La Masia at the moment. Pedri is that good. And then Francisco Trincao on the wing, as we mentioned, once he signed that contract with Barca to come this summer, he just started banging in goals for Braga. And he looks really, really promising. He's a different kind of player because he's a little bit taller of a winger that Barca has. So people say, obviously, well, he's a Portuguese winger. So he looks a little more like a younger Cristiano Ronaldo than he does, we'll say, almost any player that Barca have produced on the wing, like a Carlos Perez or whoever it may be uh, that wind up usually being shorter in stature on the wing. But for Trincao, that's another one where the club invested $30 million in him. And I, you know, as Kool-Aid, we have to trust that the club is if they earmarked this player to be a future star for Barca, he is in his early 20s still. I mean, very early 20s, just turned what, 20 or 21 recently. So I, I can't forget about those players that the club have done a bit of what I'm asking for in Pedri and Francisco Trincao. So I, I don't want to say that uh, everything that they've tried to do or done is is completely wrong, but I just gonna want to continue to see that balance where you go out and get the big club, the big star. And unlike Griezmann and Dembele and Coutinho, as we mentioned, Frances, I think you're right too, that the more important point here is that they have to get those big signings right, right? That if you swing, as, as I mentioned, if you if you swing and miss on a guy like a Sergio Tugino Das, or you swing and miss on a guy like Pedri, and it doesn't work out, well, yeah, then you lose, what, 10 or 15 million euro. But even then, you can resell these players for at least half of that value. So you're really only net a net loss of what? eight to 10 million euros. But if you miss out on Griezmann in the way that they did, and he winds up never being worth close to 120 million, you're eating what? 50 or 60 million euros of what that would have been market value. Same thing for Coutinho. They spent they spent 100 and we wound up being between 110, 120 million euros on him. And if they're even only being able to sell him for 
50 million, you're taking a 70 million euro loss, which is not the same as taking eight to 10 million on a loss for a Dest or a Pedri. So you're absolutely right that the big signings, they cannot miss on the next one. Lertura Martinez, Neymar, whoever it may be, they have to get it right. So there are still players, Francesco, at the club. And Pulkit asked about some of them. Now, he mentioned all the guys on loan. That's Coutinho, Emerson, Kukurea, Alenia, Tadibo, Juan Miranda, Oro Busquets, and Musawage has returned from Nice in France because their season is over. Of all those names, we talked about some of them already, but Oro Busquets is the guy we're going to focus on here. Because I think he, of all the players on loan, of all the players who are technically going to be or should be Barca first teamers, Oro Busquets is the guy that's forgotten because of that big injury. He is a defensive midfielder, but played most of his games this year in the Eredivisie with Twente in Holland or in the Netherlands as a center back. And he did quite well in a league that isn't necessarily known for its defending. So the question from Pulkit, is there a possibility that he will be promoted to the first team as a replacement even for Tadibo or Araujo? as they are looking for Busquets as a backup center back and maybe for the future as well. The thing here is that he has a contract until 2021 with an option for two more years and a buyout clause of 200 million euros, which means if he shows if he shows any promise, Barca don't have to worry that somebody's going to pay 200 million euros to, to get him out. And I think we also constantly forget about Mateus Fernandez that was signed from Brazil and he played for Real Valladolid for a hot second there. So all that said, yeah, between defensive midfield, which I think, again, that's one position where Barca actually does have a lot of players. I have also mentioned Jandro Oriana at Barca B, who I really, really like as a potential player defensive midfield. So I think Pulkit's correct that Oro Busquets, I, I think having him have the ability to play defensive midfield or center back at a reasonable level could make him a backup player. I think he perfectly fits into what Sergio Roberto did now we're talking five, six years ago where he could play at midfield in theory or he could play at right back in theory. This again, five, six years ago before he really became the right back under Luis Enrique. Uh, and maybe that's what Oro Busquets could do. But I don't know. It seems like I'm a little worried that we don't hear more buzz about Oro Busquets. That's my worry is that if, as you said, the club finds a way to leak things. The fact that we haven't heard anything about him does make me wonder about his future. Yeah, and also the fact that you know, with all due respect, he's not playing in the biggest league or the biggest club even within that league. I think that that does have an impact as well. Um, I was just jotting some names down while you were talking. And, uh, you know, any team that wants to win everything, like Barca have to do every season because that's the expectation from from the club, from the board and certainly from the fans. You know, and, and we may not win the Champions League because we lose the final or we may fall at the last hurdle in La Liga because Madrid are better that season and we're a couple of points behind. So I'm talking about challenging for every single title until the end of the year. Um, you need 16 starters. You need 16 regulars. You need 16 players that could start at any given point and when someone picks up an injury, then someone comes in and pretty much that transition is seamless. Now, beyond those 16 players, or even within those 16 players, you could have Alanya Cucurella, um, and that was mentioned in the question. I would certainly get Cucurella back. Um, he's got much more experience than Junior Firpo does at this moment in time. He's been much more influential. Um, he's played for teams that, you know, they're fighting for different things than Barca has, especially, you know, Getafe, Eibar, etc. And um, he is someone who's proven himself away from the camp now, like uh, Piquet did, like Jordi Alba did. And I think he's at the right stage to come back and challenge Jordi Alba for the starting position. Um, that may not happen in the first season, but certainly moving forward, it, it could. Plus, he's a La Masia graduate. I, I think that the fact that he's not even considered to come back or, or we haven't heard anything is just, it, to me, is mind-blowing and is baffling. Also, you could get your money back for Junior Firpo by selling him on for the amount of money we paid Betis for him last summer. Uriol Busquets, yep, he could come back as long as he's happy with the wage that is offered and to wait for his... Uh, for his chance patiently, I'm happy to bring him back. Obviously, Collado, Ricky Puch, Pedri, like you've mentioned, and Araujo. You've got one, two, three, four. That's seven players that could be completing your squad. You've got 16 starters. Arguably, Alanyan Kukureya could be without within those 16. And then you've got another five, six players. You could even add um, Iñaki Peña into that mix. And then you've got your squad done. I just don't see how trusting the La Masia talent that we've got or that we've loaned out and seem to be excelling or doing particularly well. I just don't see how it's that hard, to be honest. It really baffles me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it doesn't necessarily jeopardize. And I think back to the treble, the last treble that was won in 2015, right? That there was Neymar, Suarez, and Messi. You're never going to get a better front three, sure. But Munir Al-Haddadi and Sandra Ramirez. So, I mean, Google Sandra Ramirez. Things have not been great since he won that treble in 2015. Those two 
wound up being numbers four and five on that forward death chart. Now, Neymar and Suarez and Messi played a ton, but if you remember, Messi also picked up a knock at one point in that season. Yep. And Neymar picked yep. up a knock as well and was not as great in the second half of the year other than a few Champions League performances which really stood out. So, yeah, I mean, they were the front three that dealt with some injuries. And Munir and Sandro, who are not world beaters at all. Munir's fine for Sevilla, but he, I mean, he's never really a, even La Liga starter at a top club. But those two were able to round out the squad. And Rafinha put in some big, important minutes that we do forget. And this is a young Rafinha, not the Rafinha that's always injured in his late 20s now. So, yeah, they, they even those treble seasons, look back in, in 2009, 2011, those seasons, I mean, who is Jeffrey Suarez, right? Those are, those are the <laughs> questions that we ask. Like they, these guys who are trivia answers to questions, and I'm plugging maybe a future thing in the future, but if Jeffrey is a guy that we remember because he winds up scoring the fifth goal in this, this important and one of the most magnificent El Clasicos ever to occur, that there are guys on the peripheral that even if they don't wind up being something even in the future, that Ronald Araujo might have his big moment. He might only get six or eight moments because PK plays 35 times a year. However, that big moment that he might be needed for that he can come in, up in, I agree that, I mean, there are guys that these guys, these young players who are anywhere between 19 and 23 years old are definitely good enough to play those five to seven times when they're needed. And that's all that you're asking for. You're asking them from going from one Copa del Rey match against Ibiza, where we have to, almost like the Zabruder film, you have to continue to look at it and go, oh my goodness, he he placed one foot wrong on this defensive action. He This pass was wrong. And then that winds up being condemnation of the player's skills forever. And that's what we do, where we can only look at a, a third round Copa del Rey match to say that is what this player is. And if he makes mistakes against Ibiza, he's not a player that could do anything against Sevilla or Real Sociedad or whoever it may be. Well, let's keep this thing moving though, Frances. Eric asks, assuming games resume, do you feel the long layoff will provide a greater benefit to older players that have had the opportunity to rest or to the younger players that would probably be able to handle lots of games in a short period of time. And you had mentioned to me before we got started that Messi kind of had some quotes that were related to this. Yeah, he did. He did. He was basically mentioning that Kike Setien didn't really get his act together quickly enough and that Barca were not playing at a level that would allow them to win the Champions League. And to be honest, it's very hard to disagree with Messi on this one. I mean, Barca were not fantastic, especially the last two, three matches. Um, I think we got a, a one new win on the last match before the break, uh, the pandemic break. And that was just, it was so narrow that it was just pretty much unacceptable. But, you know, three points are three points and, and, and we would definitely count those in. But I think Messi is right. I think that Barca need to be much more proactive. They need to be much more understanding of what Setien wants from them in order to, to liaise with each other, in order to open up spaces, in order to work as a team. Um, the rest is not going to benefit anybody, um, I don't think, but I think the younger, sharper players will have an advantage. Um, I think that the fact that we're getting Luis Suarez back, and I don't know if you've seen the photos, but he looks like 27 kilos um, slimmer. Um, I seem to be picking up all the kilos that he's leaving behind, <laughs> which is not very good for me, but he's certainly looking much sharper. Um, obviously, he's hungrier than ever, and so are the rest of the team, but I do think that the team that hits the ground running first is going to have a great advantage. Plus, then we need to factor in injuries. Um, if we can't stay away from injuries, and, you know, we, traditionally we haven't because of the agent squad we have, and, you know, we haven't really been that lucky either. Um, so I think that avoiding injuries, I think, is first priority, but then regaining the optimal fitness has to be a priority as well. And I do think that we're going to be at a disadvantage at the start. Also, obviously nothing is final, but it looks like La Liga is going to start on the 12th of June and there's going to be a match every 72 hours. Um, that's going to be quite demanding and it's going to be impacting what we're talking about here. Those rotations are going to be incredibly important and Barca do not have the deeper squad. So um, I like to be more optimistic with this, but I think that Barca will struggle, especially in the first, say, four or five matches until um, everyone gets warmed up and back to the ritmo de competición, which is the competition rhythm. Yeah, Luis Suarez is the interesting one because it usually takes in most seasons until about the end of October, November for him to really start clicking. He's a guy who even when healthy in preseason takes a little bit of time to find his feet. However, that said, international competition that has not happened. So 
I think this is really going to benefit a guy like a Frankie DeYoung, who, if you think about it, was basically playing consistently, whether it was the Nations League or whether it was deep in the Champions League last year for Ajax, where he also played almost every minute in the Eredivisie. Then he makes his move to Barcelona. Guys who are constantly going out for international duty, this really is the longest break that a guy like Messi has had since what? I mean, we're talking like 2012. You're talking forever. So for a guy like Messi even, this really could be a benefit for the older players in that way. But as I said, with the younger players like De Young, who play all the time for club and country and have basically been going late for now two seasons, this layoff could have been a big benefit to them as well. And yeah, well, Luis Suarez, as I said, he usually takes a while to get going. I mean, there might be some extra added. It seems like there's some extra added motivation to, to extend his career. But also, I mean, it, angles do matter. It seems like he really did lose the weight. Face winds up being an indication of, of what's really lost. But you never know. You never know what his fitness actually does look like. Maybe he just ate a little bit better, but didn't do much of anything else. But yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, as we have a question from Mutaz as well, back to talking about Barca B. What's Barcelona B's chances of getting promoted? What if they cancel the league? Will they get promoted? I can see that they're very close to first place, but it's close. So they do currently sit second in the Segunda Division Bay. Group 3 standings on 49 points, tied on points with Sabadell and Cornea, and three ahead of Yeda and Villarreal Bay in fifth and sixth place. The second through fourth spots, so that would be Barca B, Sabadell, and Cornea, those would qualify for the promotion playoffs while Castellan, who only sit though one point ahead with 50. So if they even played one more actual match before the playoffs, then Barca B in theory would have a chance to overtake and qualify for the group champions playoffs. Okay, so I know it's hard to follow, but there is a group champions playoff where it's all the different group winners. It's a lot easier. It's a much, much, much easier route to getting promoted to the second division again. Getting through the playoffs is a bit harder. It's three rounds over the course of a month with two legs every round. So when we talk about canceling the league or there not being promotion or relegation this year, this would be the issue here. That it's not even like for La Liga or Champions League where you're talking about 11 matches of La Liga left and then there would be a bit of Champions League and they might even cut those down to one leg. I guess for this, they would have to change the playoffs to maybe one leg. And I mean, maybe even get rid of that four spot qualifying because three rounds and two legs over the course of a month. I just don't see how that happens, especially. And this is no offense to the stakes of the third division, but there's just there's just not enough at stake money wise compared to what you're talking about, broadcasting rights of a Liga and Champions League. So I think, unfortunately, from a business sense, this will come down a bit to money. And unless things are really just unless things are able to happen in Spain, unless sports really are able to to come back and widespread testing in Spain is able to kind of, to, to kind of make it all safe and sound, I don't know how that's possible because I think a lot of these players even, there are, they are professional footballers, but some of their time might be doing other things. And the, the stakes <laughs> of taking them completely away from their family and let's say, I mean, not to get on Messi, but I mean, look at the place, look at the compound that Messi's family lives in, right? For these third division players, especially the ones in their mid thirties that are really nearing retirement and look and like they don't, they didn't make the money in their careers to just live off their professional football and money. Those third division players for Sabadell who are 36, 37 and still playing, they're going to, they, they have other parts of their life that they've already begun and they can't ask their, we'll say their home's maybe aren't too different than the ones that you live in. So their homes are not something that winds up being a place that's completely inoculated from uh, from the disease. So I think there are even more challenges in the third division to continue and to play that through than there are in the first division. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to add a little bit of um, inside knowledge there. Obviously, my brother played for Barca when he was really young, and then he was playing for, you know, he played for Cornellà, for example. He had offers to play for Sabadell. He never did. Um, he went to play against Jada many, many times, um, Granollers, Gaba, etc. Loads of teams that are either in Segunda B, which is what you're referring to as the third division, or Tercera División, which actually is the fourth division, which, which is weird, uh, the, name that, the, the name that they've given it. But I would say that that division is one of the hardest divisions in the whole of football. Um, I've got a lot of friends, and, and friends of my brothers as well, they actually say that it's harder to play in Segunda División B than it is to play in the second division, and certainly in Primera, because the, the level of, well, the word is carnage, you know, the, the level of um, aggressiveness is just through the roof, because these are people that are talented, but they're not talented enough to be in the top two divisions, but what they don't have in terms of talent and touch and skill, they make it up in terms of aggressiveness, and, and they just basically leave the 
hearts and souls on the pitch every single week in a way that honestly I don't see in the first division. Like when I when I was living in Barcelona, I used to go and watch as many Segunda División B and Tercera División games as I could. And when I went to see Barca, and I went to see Espanyol a couple of times as well, they they, is that they play a different sport. I think the level of um, of feeling, the level of life or death that you get in Segunda División B and Tercera is nowhere near. Um, I would say it's even more exciting than the first division, um, which is why I strongly suggest that whoever listening to this, wherever they're listening to this, uh, they support the local club first, and then obviously they, they go for Barca or any other team of that caliber as well. Um, I do think that the point you make about families is totally valid. It's 100% spot on. Um, the, the thing is, the, the difference between Segunda División B and Segunda División is that when you get to Segunda División, you're a professional. So if you are playing for, say, Sabadell, well, you mostly would just be living off the salary that Sabadell is paying you. But if you're playing for a lesser team in that division, then that wouldn't be the case. You will have to be, I don't know, like my brother, he's an engineer throughout the day. And then he used to go training. He's retired now, retired this season. Um, he used to go training four hours, well, you know, two hours, four times a week. And that was like his second job. And the fact that after you finish Segunda División, if you get promoted to Segunda, you will become a full-time professional. That is life-changing for a lot of families. So while I do understand that the money is not the same as if it was a jump from, say, Segunda to Primera, the second to first division, I think that people's lives can be transformed from Segunda División to Segunda A, and that cannot be underestimated. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, you know that the players want to play and they'll try to figure out a way to play. But mm-hmm. I think, again, it's all about the health and safety and the bigger picture here. So there, a lot has to go right. And I think just like how the Bundesliga this last week served as the example for other leagues around the world as to what a lack of fans is going to look like at the top divisions, as to what those empty stadiums play on broadcast, even to what the broadcasters are themselves going to be doing over the course without fans and without all that stuff going on in the stadium and what it's going to be like for the players. As we mentioned about health earlier, that uh, Giorena, the young United States teenager was the first player injured after the COVID-19 and he was injured during the warm-up. So he was named to the starting lineup for the first time and doesn't even feature because he gets hurt. And he's just a teenager. So you'd think that he would be to be healthy. So there's just so many challenges that the Bundesliga is going to be showing, for example. And then I think La Liga then is the next domino, not in all of world football. There might be other leagues, but I think La Liga is in terms of what's happening in Spain. La Liga comes back first. And then you see what it's like with the Liga, how they're going to be testing, how they're going to be getting players healthy and staying on the field. And then things will trickle down to Segunda Division A and then Segunda Division B and then all those different groups. And then and football will continue in that order. And there, I think there is a distinct order. So I think we should have a lot more answers to this once the Liga is much closer to resuming. The other thing is you have a timeline now where you have to kind of get everything done unless you're going to really impact next season. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think there are a lot of different options here, but those decision makers are definitely above the pay grade of Frances and I. So we're just going to handle, Frances, <laughs> uh, this question from Mel. Unfortunately for us. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately for us, we're going to question. Well, fortunately, we have a question from Mel. With Suarez now healthy, how do you see this Barca attack playing under Setien? We've already seen Griezmann can't play out on the left. Also, I think we all liked what we saw from Braithwaite. And how does he fit in now? I think this one's pretty easy. Even though Griezmann doesn't entirely look like he fits on the left, you still go with the front three of Griezmann on the left, a healthy Suarez in the middle, Messi on the right, and Braithwaite and Fatih, in theory, are four and five coming off the bench. I I think that that just, it that kind of has to be the way it works for the rest of this season. Yeah, I agree. Unless there are two matches in the same week, and someone picked up a little knock or is just exhausted, say Suarez coming back and not being fully fit, say Messi gets a knock here and there. And, you know, I was talking to someone this morning. The key to Barca's return is Messi staying healthy, especially in this short amount of time. Um, And I cannot even stress that enough. I don't want to call for bad weather, um, but, you know, Messi needs to stay healthy because we desperately need his input because, you know, the others... They haven't shown they can step up without him. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's really important. And also, I've got high hopes for Braithwaite. <laughs> I never thought I was going to utter that sentence in my whole life, but there you go. Uh, I think that his fitness uh, seems to have been maintained very well. I'm following him on social media, and he's, he seems pretty fast. He was one of the fittest players before the break, and he was actually 
one of the brightest sparks that we had. So I, I'm intrigued to see what he can continue to do in what could possibly be his only season at Barca. Yeah, I think Braithwaite winds up actually making some of his teammates look bad, right? Because you finally get an experienced Liga player who fights, who works hard, and has a bit of energy to add on the field. And he's also not a spring chicken either. But yet, it, I think it makes some of the other teammates look bad because, yeah, you finally have a guy that's working hard, and what a rare thing that is. And it doesn't, I don't know. It's just, I'm not, I'm not saying that the other players wind up being unmotivated because they did play a lot more games in a season where Braithwaite only had to worry about the Liga. Or and in essence, Copa del Rey for Leganes, but Leganes is eliminated earlier in Copa del Rey usually, except the one time they upset Real Madrid. But anyway, so Braithwaite had less matches to deal with every season, and the Barca players like a Messi, he throughout the course of a year, he's got to save a bit in the tank for Copa del Rey and Champions League and La Liga and what could be happening for his international competition. So there's a lot more matches there, and I understand that. I'm, I'm, I think I'm just picking. But for Braithwaite, just to have a player add what he adds, and that is just, again, energy, conviction, and a natural speed and ability, and occasionally can get a poacher's goal as well by being in the box. So he, I think he does add exactly what Barca needed up top as a super sub in particular. But I think your point is absolutely correct that you know, Griezmann, Messi, Suarez, sure, in those big Champions League matches that matter, Kike Setien is just going to have to basically rotate to get that matchup or get that trio, if healthy, together for the biggest matches. And then you're going to, because of the number of matches in a short amount of time, rotate the rest of the way through. 100%. Totally agreed. Well, I think agreeing is a good place where we can stop today's show. So, Francis and I, again, want to thank you all for tuning in again. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe. Find us on social media. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at HiltonD13. For me, we're on Instagram, being a little more active lately, at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group is tvpod.link backslash group. That's where we got these questions from. There's also a lot of different discussion and deeper dives there. It seems like the listener group was first to how that Pionic news wasn't really news that anybody was excited about. So they were a pretty good sample size of people not happy about that deal. You can also help us out on Patreon, as many have. So, so many, so many thank yous there. Once matches start again, we'll go back to doing the quick take match views. But for now, again, we thank you, tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And we're on YouTube, as always, really nearing a milestone as for in terms of subscriber numbers. So maybe you can help us out there. Get us to one of our big milestones. You'll see it once we get over there. You hit that subscribe button. That's the Barcelona podcast. Real easy. Same thing as this. So check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And as always, thanks for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Forza. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.